All right, welcome to, I think it's the fourth episode of Cultivating Change with Martin Mayorga, that's me, and Nikki Mayorga, that's he over here, producing the show, whatever that means. We watching got a, audio. Watching the audio on the screen. Opening a bottle. <laughs> Flipping bottles. Um, we have a guest today. It's very exciting. We cleaned up and are all excited for our, our guest today. It's Henry Wilson from Perfect Daily Grind. I'm gonna have to read a little something, my little background. <laughs> oh, fantastic. And Perfect Daily Grind is a cross-platform global network which distributes coffee content to a worldwide audience. Basically, you guys provide really good, and I believe on your website you even say authentic content, which I thought was a very good uh, way to describe it in the coffee industry. And actually, we connected uh, because of an event you're doing that I wanna talk about, but. Why don't you say hello? Hello. All right. <laughs> there we go. Um, so why don't you first tell us a little bit about Perfect Daily Grind and uh, specifically what it is, and then we'll talk a little bit more about you. Okay, so Perfect Daily Grind is a digital coffee uh, publication, so it's all online. And basically what we do is we write about everything along the whole supply chain from seed to cup. So we publish around 10 articles a week in both English and Spanish. And the aim is really simple. It's just to basically share the information, stories, resources that are beneficial to producers, roasters, and basically create a, a platform to give a voice to everyone along the supply chain. So not just have people based in the UK or the United States writing articles, but to empower people, wherever they're from, whatever their role in the industry, to share their expertise and write. So we've been going now around four or five years growing steadily and I think last year we had around 4.5 million page views and we have readers across the world and yeah that's what we do. Nice. So how does a nice little British boy like you get into uh, not just coffee but you're definitely very engaged in that origin side so Latin America specifically right? Uh, as an English boy <laughs> uh, well what happened was basically uh, I went to university and studied political sciences and uh, I remember when I finished university, I, w I had, uh, was offered a job in London, nothing related to do with coffee, a management consultancy role. And basically I was given six months to do whatever I wanted before I started this job. So I was always interested in coffee. So I went to the World of Coffee event in Rimini, similar to like SCA, but the European version. And uh, met a lot of people, made a lot of contacts. And like, you know, when you go to a trade show and you meet someone, they're like, hey, like whenever you come, Whenever you come to like Honduras, you, you should call me. And then I like, the next day I called them all and sent them all emails, like all of them. And like, and I was like, yes, I'm gonna come in like two weeks time, is that good? And everyone was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Everyone in Honduras and Nicaragua. So I basically did this long trip and met all of these producers in Central America. So I flew from Costa Rica and went all the way to Guatemala. At this point, I could hardly speak Spanish and basically went along on my own, got to know all these producers and uh, I didn't really know what I was doing. I just liked coffee and I wanted to learn. And I knew that basically that I liked how espresso tastes, I liked how an AeroPress was, but I didn't know like the story behind the cup. But rather than just like uh, say go to a roastery, I wanted to actually understand like the origins behind the coffee. So I did everything from going to a roast roastery in Costa Rica to going to a farm, to spending time in a fertilizer shop, to spending some time in an exporter, to going to equipment manufacturers literally everything and uh, I remember particularly I went to Marcala in Honduras very famous coffee producing a region one of the 
has a denomination of origin, is very respected in Central America. And uh, I met a producer, a guy called uh, Oscar Omar Alonso, they think about Qual Bicicleta. Um, and before meeting this guy, I really didn't actually understand what organic coffee was at all. So my perception was organic coffee was not using fertilizer, not using pesticides, zero chemicals. And then when I sat down and talked with this guy that I actually met in a coffee shop and as the typical thing is like, hey, you should see my farm. And we drove up to the farm. He started showing me that like being organic was like a whole way of thinking, right? It was like observing what you have around you, adapting and reacting to the natural environment and basically doing what you, what you can to produce the best quality coffee in the most sustainable way, both economically and environmentally in the long term. And, uh, and this guy was doing all this crazy stuff and like for example I remember he had like papaya trees and mango trees and he told me one story that uh, like uh, he was explaining to me how they, in, in Honduras they had a ma major issue with drought in this particular region and that basically during the dry season a lot of the coffee plants died so he's like so what I did is uh, I went down to the local lake and I went through the rubbish and I spoke to all of the uh, the guys selling the coconuts and basically said to them I'd buy the empty coconut shells off them and they were like you don't need to buy it it's just rubbish we're not interested you can take it He's like, so I bought five truckloads of coconuts, drove them up the mountain for like four hours, and then I buried them all. And I was like, no way. And he's like, yeah, 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 look at this. He like buried in the, ha in the ground with his hands, picked up this coconut, and he was like, you see this? And I was like, yeah, it's coconut. And he's like, squeezed it, and all this water came out, and it was dry. And I was like, how, how did you come up with this? He's like, I don't know, like I heard it, and I just decided to do it. And I was like, how many people know about this? Like, this is interesting for the buyer. And he was like, I don't know, like three people came this year. And I was like, what do you mean? It's like three gringos like you came. And I was just like, right. And that kind of stuck with me. And then when I went back to England and met all the roasters, like I started talking about things like this. And at an abstract level, they knew what happened in the farm, but they didn't know all these little details. And I was like, the producer wants to tell this information and the roaster needs this information to sell the coffee and wants to know, but like no one's in there in between. Yeah, I think that's a big, big point too, because I think one of the issues in the industry is that a lot of these guys and, and women in, in the field just know so much stuff and they, they experiment and they they uh, they really know the, it's almost a permaculture mindset in the organic world. And I think what they've lacked is the legitimacy to that information being passed up the stream of the supply chain. So I think that's something you guys do really well, which is present a story like that where it's not just a word of mouth like this crazy guy in Honduras, it's more like, hey, look what this guy's doing, it's it's thought out, it's got reasoning behind it, and it really legitimizes those things. Yeah, he's an intellectual, he's a smart guy, like maybe he didn't go to university and get a, a, a master's, but he thinks and he's adapted, and he's being far more creative than we give credit for. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's a big gap you guys fill, and honestly, it's, it's uh, you know, I reached out to you uh, not too long ago, we, we started talking, because you're doing this event in Guatemala, the producer roaster forum, which I think, A, is brilliant because, you know, we're here at the SCA in Boston and, you know, everybody's at their nice hotel and expensive airfare and, you know, in a day when the coffee market's are at a, what, 13-year low, you know, mm -hmm. most producers can't really afford to come up here and try to sell their coffee to, to roasters and uh, I, I think it's a little bit of a skewed venue. And uh, what you've done is kind of flipped it on its head, which is, let's go to origin, let's go to Guatemala let's take uh, the right roasters down who care about the right things and let's get people to have you know, a mutual conversation. And I reached out to you because you know, I saw that event and I said, you know, this is what needs to happen. You, know, you guys are really treating what I always say is you know, we, our, our farmers are our first customer. You know, and I think uh, 
your event really, I think, establishes that and really puts them in the light that they should be in, which is of respect and, uh, you know, being equitable players in the industry. So what's, what's the event all about? What can you tell us about it? Um, well, so basically what happened was, so I can't really take credit for the event. It was like collectively as the team at Perfect Daily Grind. But I remember speaking to one of my colleagues, uh, originally from El Salvador, called Julio, and he, we were talking about all different events which happen in the consuming countries, right? In the UK, in Germany, in the United States. And he and we was talking, saying that like a lot of people can't go to these events, much like you said. And we're like, well, what are the barriers? And we talked about the cost of flights, the cost of hotels. And we're like, well, would it be possible to do this in El Salvador? This was three years ago, because he's originally from El Salvador. And we were like, totally. And then we analyzed the cost, and we're like, this is totally, totally legitimate. And then I, I started analyzing, being like, well, why do all these farmers travel to Boston to SCA and to all the other shows? And the simple answer is to make money, to sell their coffee, right? Yep. So we're like, well, how can we create a platform that, because there's a lot of things happening in these trade shows. They're not just built around connecting farmers to roasters. There's all sorts of technologies and equipment. So how can we build something which is directed towards giving the roasters what they want, which is direct contact with the producers and to spend time in another group of roasters in a secure, safe environment and learn about everything that's happening and give producers what they want, which is basically meet roasters and sell coffee. So we're like, well, we, we're gonna, all we need to do is just create in the most affordable manner, uh, like a forum or a, an event in a coffee producing country. And the, the advantage is, is like, um, if you create an event, which is inconvenient for the roasters to go to, because you're bearing in mind, like we have, I think 70 odd roasters attending this year. I'm asking them out of their own money to, to fly to the other side of the world. We have roasters from the United States, from China to Korea, Thailand, Indonesia, Japan. They're, they're flying across the world to Guatemala because they want to do it and that's the right and that's the right thing because there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunities and grants available for roasters to do things but like if you get people and you say look this is what we're doing do you share our values and they and they fly and they sort of feel like they're part of it and they want to have a positive impact and then the idea is as well is that it's not just a one-off right it's that people come they make connections they make relationships and these continue and it's also like a, a a way that we can be more inclusive so we can say not every producer is ready to sell their coffee internationally abroad but they begin to observe how does it really work because i've seen a lot of trade shows is like often producers will go for the first time to these events and be completely overwhelmed abroad yeah. so it's like well let's just invite people to observe see what happens and then also learn from the producers so like the more i'm involved in coffee producing countries and spend time that i learn more and I can use that to do things better of what we want to do and also to adjust. So the things that I might think are good as, a, as an English person, perhaps with more like capitalist mindset, when I spend time in the farm, actually I realize that, okay, I'm partly right, but not everyone wants to have the same things that I, that I have. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's, well, first going back to one point that you made that I want to reiterate, the thing that I think is really exciting about this event in Guatemala is it's almost a self-selected process where I'm looking forward to, for the first time in my 23 years in this business, to be in a pretty large group of people who really, at the, on the very you know, foundation, have a, a shared mindset, right? We're all there to tighten the supply chain. We're all there to tighten the communication gap. And um, I think that's going to be really exciting to have people from all over the world across the supply chain to really be in the same place and discuss those things. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but... To your point, the uh, I think one of the 
the gaps that happens in, in what I think you're discussing is, you know, we, we create expectations based on what we think we would want if we're in a producer situation and, and position. And I think a lot of times we're wrong because we, we do it based on everything from social accepted, you know, expectations in our communities to what we believe the definition of happiness is. And a lot of times people go down there and say, well, these people need, you know, nicer homes. They need a big school. They need, and they just create assumptions. And I think what you're saying is, you know, when you're, you're down there, you realize, well, they don't have the same mindset. They don't have the same, you know, needs that I have. And they also have other reasons for doing things the way they do them. And when you go down and you spend time with them, you realize, okay, what I thought would have made sense maybe doesn't make sense for them and maybe isn't in their best interest. So I think that, you know, I think that's what you're trying to get to, which is that kind of just that communication that you have. And then you, you really understand the other person and the other, uh, their situation. Yeah. And you, like you said, you bring together like-minded people from across the world who share the same values and, uh, and basically, yeah. And you, you see what happens and like, there's not an answer. You don't know what the result's going to be, but it's basically like, well, let's bring people together that, that have the same ideologies and, and see where it goes. And I think that like in the future, it will be more normal. It will have a lot of events in coffee producing regions because even if you analyze a lot of the economics of it, it can be even more, more like lower cost to run these events and then you generate employment in, co in coffee producing regions. And also kind of that's what roasters want. If they're gonna travel the other side of the world, why don't they wanna to go to a coffee producing country, learn about, more about like the coffees they buy? It's sort of a win-win. So, you know, based on all those things we're talking about, and to, to you and I who are in the industry and know really the ins and outs um, from the farmer up, and you know, one thing I respect about you and like about you is that you're very in tune with the farmer side and the, and the uh, origin side. But what does all this stuff mean to your average consumer? You know, we're sitting here having conversations that are very... Uh, you know, they sound nice and we're including farmers and we're, we're making sure that they're part of the conversation, etc. But how do you explain that to the consumer, why it's relevant, why it's important that you're putting together an event where, you know, roasters from all these different countries are coming together. What is the end result that we're trying to achieve, that you're trying to achieve through this event? And how does that affect the consumer? And maybe not just the event, but your mindset and, and how you view things. If you look at it in the simplest way, I'm trying to think about a way to articulate it, but we can't have a one-way dialogue, right? Where the buyer tells the seller what's required and the buyer calls the shots. You need to have a situation where there's a symbiotic relationship where the buyer, in this case the roaster, and then the producer, the seller, have a relationship and together they reach a conclusion and also they're both more informed. And I think that's what's important. And in the context of a consumer, like if you're gonna buy a product and you're gonna pay more money, don't you wanna know that that comes from a producer who has long-term sustainability and that his children are continuing to grow coffee? Isn't that what you want, to be happy and to feel fulfilled with your purchase? I think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, and I, I, I agree with you. I think that you know part of the reason these conversations are important is, unfortunately, sometimes that kind of spoon-fed, easy solution is what the industry puts out there, not just the coffee industry, but all industry, which is that one sticker that makes somebody feel good that you know those two buzzwords together or whatever it might be and i think you know my purpose here and you know having this conversation is also letting people know that you know it's it's a much broader issue you know i always harp on the fact that it's not how much you pay a farmer 
you know, that's great. You know, you want to pay the most you can, but it's so much more. It's so much more comprehensive with, um, you know, interest rates and, you know, how they get their money, how, you know, yields and, and technification and use of fertilizer and soil testing and all kinds of things that really will help them uh, evolve. And I guess, you know, ultimately, you know, to your point, I think it's that knowledge is power, right? Once you really get these producers to know a little bit more about the ins and outs of, of the industry beyond what they do, I think it will empower them and it will make them part of the conversation, which is something I always harp on, which is they need to be at the table. They haven't been at the table. You know, they're starting to come to the table, but I think uh, we're now seeing more and more of them through your event. They literally will be at the table with the roasters and the traders and everybody that is like-minded. And maybe we can make an analogy. So like, perhaps in the context, this, the, if you have like a coffee shop or a cafe, right? How would the coffee shop be profitable if it never spoke to its customers? Right. And it didn't, and, and also like you said, like it's not just about price, right? Sure, if you have a coffee shop, you can make the most beautiful coffee, uh, lots of different syrups, lots of different beautiful high-end varieties, let's say, just an incredible drink. And if you sell that once for $100, or do you want to sell a little bit of coffee every day to the same, to, like, to the same consumers and build that relationship? That's a terrible analogy. <laughs> I've explained it horrendously. But my point is saying that like, at, at, from a cafe perspective, it's not just about having one like Hollywood customer who buys something as a one-off. It's about having repeatable clients who consistently like come and attend. Mm-hmm. And this price is one thing, but it's a lot more than that. It's so much more. And I think one of the things that consumers are seeing, but maybe they haven't been provided the 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 real information and even just the, the context to understand how producers are really outsiders in their own industry and I think to your point it's you know once once there's engagement up and down from the farmer to the roaster to the consumer then you know it's just a it, it's a balancing of, of, of the I think uh, the gap that exists and I think that'll allow us to make sure that as we grow as an industry the people at the table that include the farmers all grow and the farmers will develop and grow and evolve and and I think in, in different ways I think one of the things that we don't talk about as an industry but uh, I believe it and I, I know you've discussed it too which is also helping these countries become better consumers themselves yeah you know I always hear from people like oh I went to this country and the coffee was the greatest coffee I've had and it's typically a country that isn't really like you know that they're drinking, you know the sweepings that were left over after all the good stuff was exported. But it's just you know they believe because they were in the environment and you know they're excited by the the ambiance. But the reality is the good coffee's not there anymore. It all get, gets exported. And you know I think that the more we educate and, and engage also our own uh, the people in those communities, the better the, the producers will be and the better the industry will be as a whole. Yeah, and like. I, I tr- and I don't really like the idea of like we're going there and educating you know but it's more just like exposing and just like inviting people to be part of the conversation as you said because just to sell coffee is not is not enough a lot of the time for coffee for coffee producers just to sell coffee abroad is not enough it's like if you have a cafe you can't just sell one product you have to diversify to be more profitable and so if they're going to sell coffee for the internal market as well that's an additional market additional market access not other opportunity and I think an interesting thing as well is like uh, when you do these events and we engage directly and have these discussions, a lot of the roasters might realize that there's a lot more they can do. 
And maybe they were just thinking, oh, I'm just going to buy more coffee. But maybe they'll be like, well, actually, it's actually pretty cool. And I didn't realize that this producer grew avocados or grew chia or whatever. Yeah. And that's my dream for the industry, right? And what I stumbled on, you know, six, seven years ago with chia, and I'm now evolving into other products as well. What's up with that? Oh, no. Oh, wait. All right. I'll start over. Yeah, and I think the... Um, that aspect is something that I, I stumbled on about six years ago with the Chia, and I've really become a huge proponent of, which is the treating of producers as, as humans and farmers and people who are capable of doing more than just wait for once a year to sell their coffee and see what the, the coffee market's doing. I think the more engaged we are as, as people in the industry, but also as consumers, the more we realize that there's a lot more opportunity to support producers and, and to learn from them and to, to evolve together. You know, and, and my personal opinion is that in 20 years, being just a coffee grower or coffee producer, unless you're massive, you know, like in Brazil, it's not a, a feasible livelihood. It's just not. I don't see the commodities market going away, and I don't see global warming changing anytime soon. So I think it's a necessity, and I think it's a responsibility of the people in the industry to actually push that along rather than hold back and fear it. Mm. Well, also without getting too technical as well, like if you look at uh, the technologies in consuming countries, so if you look at how an espresso is made or how a filter coffee is made, is incredibly advanced compared to just five years ago. An espresso machine, yeah. step into a coffee shop. If you go to a coffee farm and you ask them how they depulp or dry their coffee, it hasn't changed in like 50 years. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And that's one of my big frustrations too. And I think that's why I'm a little bit maybe jaded by the industry where I see all the veneer and all the nice growth on the specialty side and the, the, the retail side. And then I go back to these communities and I'm like, man, the shit's the exact same when I started this to try to make an impact. And I literally, I mean, I, I, I get a little depressed even because like nothing's really changed. I mean, yeah, there's been change and you know, but in the scheme of it, to your point, these impoverished farmers are still doing the same thing. And there's technology advances on the at the mills I've definitely seen a lot more with the Sortex and the laser technology and sure. a lot of things that's definitely evolved but why because these are the people with the big big dollars and they're the ones that are buying and, and aggregating uh, product and they have the means if you want to get real though it comes down to cash flow as well right yeah it's about having the time to plan the expenditure of buying equipment and it comes to, for example, in the roastery, like you look at, you have a certain plan, you know how much you're going to earn approximately in the year, you know what your projected revenue is, therefore you decide that you can buy this new roaster, this new equipment. <laughs> I'm the exact opposite. No, I you've say, got it all planned a, out. I want a really big roaster and I want it, like actually just today I made a commitment for a massive packaging machine that I have no business buying, but what I do is I buy the machine. That's and the secret to success, zero planning, zero planning. execution, yeah. Yeah. Think, act first, think later. <laughs> yeah, well... No, but I, I get what you're saying. It's uh, These guys have the means and the capacity and, and, and the financial wherewithal to say, well, if we want to excel an extra 100 containers next year, we have to create efficiencies. And they can buy that three hundred dollars to $500,000 short tax. You know, where a small producers just like, hey, I just want to, you know, I just want to wet mill my coffee and, you know, be involved in any value add I can and... That technology is very limited. It all comes down to like, uh, if I do that thing that, or if I implement this new technology, how much more are I going to get paid? Mm -hmm. Really, and it's like, well, if it's only a small amount and it's twice as much work, then is it more profitable? 
particularly because the trouble is, is if you look at a small scale farmer, it is very, very difficult to be profitable or achieve economies of scale with any technology. So that like the implementing or buying new equipment but with such a small turnover, a small volume of coffee produced, it's going to take a long time to make that money back. Yeah. So it's easy for us to say, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? And like, if you really calculate it, they might have to spend 50% of their revenue on this new technological innovation that they're not even sure if they need. Well, think about the fact that they're also at the mercy of the weather, of the global market. I mean, there's so many things that are also variables that most industries don't really face unless obviously the agriculture industry, but being a small producer in a monoculture that produces once a year, that's tied to a global commodity. I mean, that's, that's just a very tenuous situation to be in that you really, how do you control your own destiny other than just working to, you know, fine tune quality and to maximize your output. But without getting too depressing, I mean, we could go down this line where we, we outline the issues is that fundamentally, like being at SCA, right? I didn't go 10 years ago. The first time I went was about four years ago. But the consumers are definitely more concerned about where their products come from. The roasters are more concerned. And there's a growing awareness. So people are beginning to ask, like, when I walk around the trade show today, people want to meet the ro- we want to meet the farmer. Yeah. The roasters want to know where the coffee comes from. They want to know how much you pay and stuff. So it's easy for us to look at it and say, well, not enough is happening. Like, look at all this. But... You've got to look at the context, for example, of your company, right? So you've, the impact that you can have just in a short period by encouraging people to basically pay a little bit more for better coffee and by you having certain supply chain efficiencies is huge. And I think it's we are making a lot of progress. And sure, there might be some things in the industry which is a lot of marketing and promotion and perhaps not so much impact, but they're all leading towards getting the consumer to be aware of this is where coffee comes from, this is how it grows, and this is how the industry operates. And it's very slow, like, I mean, Perfect Daily Grind only has, what, like four years? And we're already getting like uh, several million hits a year, and that's only gonna grow. Yeah, and I think one of the things that you've done super well, and the reason that that's happened for you is, it's very authentic, you know. I think, um, like I said before, I'm a very fringe guy. I get trade publications, I throw them out. I don't look at them, I, you know, I try to be, in my own little world, focusing on what matters to me. To the point where, you know, it's funny because in 22 years I've been in the business, I purposely try not to be a quote-unquote expert in my own industry because I, I think you can really... I'm a self-acclaimed expert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not, I, I'm kind of a, a master of none kind of thing. You know, like I, I really, I know a little, I know enough to know what I know, but I'm in this for the positive impact that I want to make. To your point, we've made a lot of progress and I've been in this business for 22 years. I've only been to four of these shows because I, I, I used to kind of leave a little bit depressed afterwards. Like, Man. But you, let's quantify the impact, right? So let's say if you're going to buy, I mean, you have to get into numbers, but like if you're going to buy a hundred containers worth of coffee and you're paying a market premium of X amount, can you, can you quantify that for the, for the re, for the listeners to understand like what is the impact of what you're doing? Cause my parents, right? They're like pay more for coffee. What, what does that even mean? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, if you do quick, quick math, I mean, we're buying 4 million pounds of coffee and we're paying 25 cents more a pound, you know, that's a million dollars. It's a million dollars more in the farmer's pocket. Yeah. And then on the, on the, on the container load, uh, you know, more specialty stuff, we're paying an extra 75 cents a pound. 
So yeah, we're we're making an impact, and and I recognize that, and it's it's. With and have you seen the farmers develop? Like for example, you say make an impact. You can pay someone more money, but have you seen like you've come back and the farmers have continued to want to grow and do more business with you? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things that's beautiful about the way we do things is that the relationship is a relationship. It's not about you know will they sell to me, will I buy from them. It's just it's a given. You know, we have the long-standing relationship. So that's there, and then the evolution has been very clear, specifically with some like in Kapukas. Nine years ago, Kapukas was an impoverished cooperative in an impoverished community. Now they have zip lines, they have cabins and a heated swimming pool in one of the farms. They have, you know, state-of-the-art processing. Aren't you so proud that you're part of that? I am, you know, and I, it just, I, I'm really tough on myself, but I'm super proud of it, but I just want to keep going. I just, I stop, I look at them like, that's freaking great. You know, I've realized that one of the things that, and I literally came to this realization like a week ago. You know, and actually doing, because I was thinking about my, my talk at this event in Guatemala. And I was like, man, you know, I really don't like to talk in public. Not because I'm shy, not because I get stage fright, but I don't like anything to be pointed at me because I don't want to make it look like I'm, I'm trying to kind of, you know. Self-promote. Yeah, self-promote. I see myself and I recognize that my role in pretty much every aspect of my life, personal and business, is I'm a facilitator. So I want to facilitate, you know, progressive growth and I want to facilitate other people's happiness and opportunity. I mean, today I bought coffee from a guy at a ridiculous price, sight unseen, just because I saw the guy was struggling and I was like, damn, you and know. And you could feel that he was legit as well. Yeah, man, I could just see it. I mean, the guy was almost at tears talking about what he was trying to do. And even Nikki's like, wow, you're really nice. You just bought that coffee from the guy. And dude, and for me, it was like, I was like, yeah, I'm going to buy. He's like, what? I was like, yeah, I'll buy it. And he's like, what price? I'm like, the price you want. And the guy was like, I literally made his entire trip here, you know, like amazing. And so for me, I, I really see myself as I want to facilitate because to be tr to be honest, I'm here and where I got to in, in my business because I've had people like that in my life. You know, it helped you. Oh my God. I mean, when I started, when I was in cigars and I was screwed and I was just drowning in cigars and I was, I had a meeting with this guy, Lou Rothman from JR Cigars because of something totally different. He wanted to hire me. I didn't want to work for him. Literally as I was leaving the meeting, he's like, hey, I'll buy all your cigars from you and I'm going to start sh distributing for you. Just ship me a container a month. I was like 19. And I went from being like just totally in debt and just financially fucked to like my life just changed and like this guy's two sentences. And he did it just because he could. You know, so for me anyway, my point is that I recognize the impact. I appreciate the impact. And I get a lot of actual like fulfillment from it. But I don't like to stop and celebrate it. You know, I like I want to keep doing going. But you should more. stop and celebrate sometimes. I do. I guess I do. I don't know. You know how I celebrate it by watching other people enjoy it. You know, like I celebrate it like when I. You know what? I love going to to my roastery in Maryland and like we always have meals together and it's like a family. Like I like that. You know, and one of the things that's the downside of what I do and the fact that I started it so young is I have zero social life. You know, and it's been purposeful. You know, I don't go out. I don't have friends that I like. I have friends, but it's not, you know, I, I don't socialize. Um, and I kind of see the business as like my, my outlet for that. And I mm -hmm. have, you know, a lot of young staff that, you know, I see them get excited and be happy about what we do and, and, and see how excited they get to be a part of it. So I celebrate in some ways. I celebrate by working more. Well, I only say that, and I don't mean to flip the interview round. Yeah, what I, happened? I, I, I flipped it round, but like it's an interview. It's like a, a, a counseling therapy, all of a sudden. No, but at, <laughs> at, at SCA today, like I mean, a lot of a lot of people, and it's like there aren't many roasters that do that, right? That really care, that pay 
big market brands and like there's a lot of specialty roasters doing incredible work but they're not at the scale that you're at so yeah. they dream of doing what you're doing yeah i mean it wasn't easy though and i, I think they may dream of it when they see the end result not the end result because i'm not done but it was i mean i didn't make money for nine years ten years i mean i was i was struggling for a long time because i always had it in my mindset though that i had to leave my margins tight i had to really build a scaled out business and the problem with scale you know a business built on scale is you don't get those efficiencies till you get to that scale you know and um but I, I still believe that that's the way to grow and that's that's the way to make an impact you know the smaller guys are making an impact they're just doing it in smaller bits i have a, a you know some pretty big aspirations yeah <laughs> sorry i didn't interrupt your call uh, <laughs> yeah so anyway i mean that I don't know. I love what I do. I think it's. I think the industry is really going in the right direction. Not to sound like I'm bragging, but I feel like the industry is getting to where I've been for a lot of years, and that's nice to see. You know, I'm never one of those guys that gets you know concerned or or, or uh, you know paranoid or jealous at other people. I want everybody to do everything we do. I've tried to get you know these competitors. I don't. I don't believe that my competition is is anybody within my range of, of revenue. I think our competition is the massive, massive, massive people in the trade that are really, you know, kind of in the background making all the money and really making all the influence and really reaching millions upon millions of consumers. That's the business I want. I would love to get together with every small and medium company and take that business and, and write the ship with that volume. Mm. The problem is, you know, business is competitive and, you know, people operate out of self-preservation and uh, that makes it a little bit tough yeah so anyway I felt like you're asking uh, looking for me to ask another yeah, question I and know. I realized all I flipped all it all of a sudden <laughs> I'm confused now I should be asking you stuff but um, anyway that's what we're doing here I think the education is a really relevant part of it I'm super glad you're doing it I think um, one of the other great things you do that you didn't really talk about much is uh, you provide the con content in Spanish which obviously should go without saying if you're uh, providing the, the content within Latin America, but I think that's really powerful. I think it's really powerful to uh, engage the, the consuming countries and the, uh, the producers in their own language. And I, I was just something like, I just thought someone needs to do this. Is anyone doing this? No, well, let's just start. Yeah. And it just happened, much like what you're doing. I mean, it's now been, what, two years or something, and it's just scaled and grown and grown and grown. And it's great. I mean, it's probably what I'm proud of most even though that I can't really take credit for it because it's the editors, it's the translators, it's the team which run which run the program. But like, it comes down to the basics, right? Free education for producers on everything from the supply chain. Not just about how to grow coffee, but let's learn about uh, what's the coffee trend in China. Let's learn about how to roast coffee. Let's, like you said, let's bring people to be part of the conversation because people really want to be deeply involved, have a successful business. They need to know everything that happens which is directly relevant to their operations. It's like a perfect daily grind if we derive our revenue from advertising. If I don't really know what any of my clients do, then how can I give them the service they require? Right. So to kind of wrap things up, in, in the informational side, based on what you know, based on the fact that you talk into the industry more than anything, what, what do you think are important? And it's a very big question with it. Obviously, you know, I would ask to be condensed into a couple of sentences, but uh, what do you see as like the gap, the information gap from 
you know, the things we're talking about that are relevant in the industry to what the consumers are seeing. Is there certain things that you think consumers, that we should do a better job as an industry to educate the consumers about? Because we talk a lot about sustainability and direct trade and fair trade and this and that. But is there some, is there, what can we do better as an industry to really kind of educate the consumers to really bring them on board a little bit more aggressively? But I also feel like we start with this idea, let's educate the consumer. And there's this obsession in specialty coffee, like let's make the consumer care about what we care about. Let's make the consumer be aware of all these things. But maybe they don't need to be made aware or maybe that we need to work out what does the consumer want and tell them that. You know what I mean? Because a lot of time it's like we come to these trade shows, fantastic new equipment for brewing uh, coffee, for processing coffee, but at the same time, like the consumers don't really need to know about how that stuff works. They don't even really know about how, the intricacies of how the farm works. Like that's great for us because we love it and it's what we do. But maybe the consumer just wants to know uh, that what is the money that they spend is spent on by the farmer. You know, so I think what we need to do a better job as an industry is truly identifying what does the consumer want and giving it to them. Yeah. No, you're right. It's not about, uh, you know, bringing all this minutiae up the supply chain to the consumer. I've tried. Trust me, I've tried. Yeah. I've been there with my friends and tried to sit them down, give them a nice PowerPoint, walk them through each coffee. And I'm sure you've been there as well. You sit down with people and you can literally see their eyes sort of glaze over. <laughs> yeah. As you mentioned, words such as sustainability. No, and I think you're right. I think what it boils down to is give the consumer what they want give them the quality that they deserve for that, and then give them the knowledge that their money's being allocated into something with conscientiousness and you know, <clears throat> long-lasting you know, sustainability or longevity, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, because if we look at the most successful coffee brands or even consumer-facing uh, food products, they've really worked out like what does the consumer want, and they've given it to them. Yeah, without complicating it too much. Yeah. And let's have a clear, because I think that sometimes we have such a convoluted message. So if we talk about coffee, right, there's certifications. There's many different types of certifications. Um, And then we also have unregulated uh, certifications or unregulated programs like direct trade. And it's very difficult for my friends if they want to do something good, like they don't really want to engage in in an intellectual debate or in a a moral debate within themselves. They just want to make do something better than what they're doing at the moment mm-hmm. and sometimes it's so confusing that maybe we need to work on making something so simple that the consumer can instantly engage and understand with it yeah I agree with that I think that's been one of my challenges but I'm starting to come to grips with the fact that you just give consumers what they want you give them a grip you know the best price you can and you you do the best you can with those resources and those funds to do good with it because I kind of feel like if you go ahead and say so much it almost looks like you're trying to compensate for something as well yeah. If you go to the consumer and you start saying, look, this is what we're doing, this is the name of the farmer, this is how much we're paying, um, I think it's good, but at the same time, if the consumer's not prepared or asking for that information, it can be somewhat overwhelming, and it's very difficult to understand. Like, if I tell you that I, uh, you pay a producer a differential of plus 120, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't really mean anything. Or even I tell you that we pay a producer $8 a pound, well, there's no there's Yeah, no they pay 20 pounds. They're like, yeah, you should, because yeah. they pay 20. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. All right, anything else you want to... Uh... Well, thank you so much for sponsoring the Producer Roaster Forum. That's, of course. It's an honor. And like uh, I one said... thing I want to bring up that we're doing that is really cool and that you brought up and that I got to participate in is the scholarship we're doing for producers. I think that's really cool because it took everything to the next level, which is you guys are in origin, you're in Guatemala, you're there for the producers, but then you recognize that there's very small producers who don't have the resources to take the bus to, to you know 
be staying at a hotel or whatever it is and creating that scholarship I think was a really important thing to do well I mean it's easy for me to come up with a concept but at the end of the day you pay for it yeah. and same with, <laughs> same with the uh, with the sponsorship like for the listeners basically I mean I sent you a proposal you said well Henry I'd like to help more it doesn't happen often that you send someone <laughs> a price and then they say yeah okay I can pay more than that and yeah. that's, that really helps us to scale and it motivates us to keep doing it motivates my team to see the value in what we're doing when someone really really appreciates it and then also with the scholarship program, it's brilliant because there's there's a perception that often in producing cu- countries that make coffee that everyone is poor and it's not the case at right. all. Right. And often to sell a high quality product is very expensive. So those that can make it are often not those that are we see in the marketing and advertising, but perhaps people that have more money. Right. And that's nothing wrong with that. But how can we include the people that perhaps need the help the most? And it's not just a case of just saying, oh, you can have free entrance to the event because how are they going to get to the event? Exactly. How are they going to? Where are they going to stay? Where's the food? And like, once they're there, what are they, What are we going to do? So what you what we did was a discussion. You said, well, look, I think that we need to involve some more producers, and this is an issue that I encountered in El Salvador and Brazil that we did it. We're like, we want to have more of these producers involved, and it was something I wanted to do. But it was great when you said, well, let's do it, because then actually it was rather it became rather than me being like, oh yeah, I'd like to do that one day. I was like, oh, I have to do it now. Then you knew who to ask because you're the guy yeah. that said, how do I spend more? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. I'm looking forward to it. I'm really excited for it. And uh, I'm sure we'll be doing a lot of content at the event. And uh, There'll I'm be just... a live podcast. Do I see you at the event? Sure. There's Good. a live contact content uh, podcast at the event, Nikki. So you're going to Guatemala. Could we ever do one episode in Spanish? Or is that is that possible? Yeah, I want to. I really want to. I want to do one actually... You know, and uh, we can kind of just mix them in, you know, for producers and, and uh, into Latin America. I think it would be good. Yeah, special edition, Nikki. Yeah, for, to teach Nikki Spanish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks a lot, buddy. Well, thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Bye, Bye everybody.